turn in the scriptures first to Matthew 26, before we move to our text in Luke 22. Matthew 26 is a parallel account of Judas's betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we take that as our scripture reading, Matthew 26, verses 1 through 16, then we'll read our text, Luke 22, 1 through 6. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now we turn over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. We read Luke's account of the same events, verses 1 through 6. These verses are our text. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in the midst of considering the history of Jesus' Passion Week, and we come to the middle point this morning, the middle point of Jesus' Passion Week, Wednesday. And Wednesday of the Passion Week was a day in many respects, different from the days before it. 
and the days that would follow it. The days prior to were very busy days. Sunday was the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Monday was the day in which Jesus drove the buyers and sellers and money changers out of the temple for the second time. Tuesday was the last day of his public ministry spent in the temple teaching and preaching the gospel. And then in the evening on the Mount of Olives where he delivered his sermon on the end times, the Olivet Discourse, which a part of which we considered last week. And now we come to Wednesday. And almost surprisingly, the Bible has very, very little to say about what happened Wednesday. In the Gospel of Luke, for example, our text is all that's said of Wednesday. As soon as you get to verse 7, we come to the events of Thursday, the day that Jesus would be arrested. The only event that is recorded that took place on Wednesday was Judas's betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ by covenanting with the chief priests and rulers of the people for 30 pieces of silver. It appears that on Wednesday, Jesus withdrew from the public eye and likely spent much of the day on the Mount of Olives in relative peace and solitude with his disciples. And it would make sense that our Lord would do this. He's preparing himself for the storm of wrath that is about to break forth upon his soul and body, which he knows is coming and which he will steadfastly walk straight into the middle of. As Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, he gives them some final instructions to prepare them for what is coming, though they never understood his words. How many times before Jesus had told them that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And the disciples couldn't comprehend it and probably didn't want to comprehend those words that unsettled them and didn't fit with their expectations for what the Messiah would do and what kind of kingdom he would bring. And so half willingly so, the disciples continued in the dark. But there was one disciple who perhaps understood those words better than the others. That was Judas. And hearing the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 26, after he had concluded his teaching Tuesday night, ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Judas would take action. An action he had been pondering for some time. Because in his heart, there had grown a festering hatred and disappointment with Jesus, who was not the Messiah he wanted him to be. And Satan would enter into Judas' heart, drive him forward to perform what he had already planned and plotted to do, to covenant with the enemies of his Lord and betray the very Christ of God into the hands of his eager murderers. Terrible betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. That is the one event scriptures record taking place on the Wednesday of the Passion Week. A very sad event, yet an event that is not outside the sovereign counsel of God or his determination or his will. For this event, like all things, serve 
purpose of God. The salvation of his people. So this morning we're going to look at that sad event. The betrayal of the Christ by Judas Iscariot. We're going to see how this event serves our salvation. We're going to marvel at the wonderful ways and works of God which truly are unsearchable and past finding out. Let's look at Judas' betrayal of the Lord on Wednesday of the Passion Week. We're going to consider the text under the theme, Covenanting to Betray the Christ. Notice in the first place, the treacherous covenant. Here we'll look at the historical event itself. Secondly, the reasons behind it. What motivated and moved Judas to take this action? And then finally, the reality that this horrible sin yet served God's covenant. Covenanting to betray the Christ served God's covenant. Wednesday, at some point, Judas slips away from the other disciples. And he has one goal in mind. To find the chief priests, who he knows want to kill his master. To hash out a bargain with them. To betray the Lord into their hands. Judas goes his way to make a treacherous covenant to betray the Christ. Who was this Judas? We know him, of course, as one of the disciples. The text in verse 3 says that he was of the number of the twelve. He was one of those that Jesus had called to be one of his disciples that followed him everywhere he went through the course of his three and a half year ministry in Galilee and Judea. The Bible records the calling of several of the disciples, but doesn't tell us much about the calling of Judas. We first meet Judas in Matthew 10, verse 4, where he is simply included in the list of Jesus' disciples. Judas is, throughout the scripture, identified by his surname, Iscariot, which simply means from Kirioth. Kirioth was a town in Judea. And so it appears that Judas Iscariot was from Judea, likely the only one of Jesus' disciples that hailed from Judea. The rest were natives of Galilee. And so Judas is regularly referred to as Judas Iscariot to distinguish him from the many other Judases that could be found in that day. Judas or Judah was a very common name. And now this Judas Iscariot was evidently a very gifted man. Perhaps from an earthly point of view, one of the more gifted of the disciples, at least in certain areas. For example, John 12, verse 6, and John 13, verse verse 29, both tell us that Judas carried the bag. And what that means is that Judas was the one who was given charge over the money and possessions of Jesus' disciples. They had a common purse. And the few possessions that they had and carried with them on their journeys around the land of Israel, the money that they had was entrusted into Judas's hands. Judas, as it were, was the treasurer. He was the treasurer of the disciples. And now, there was a reason for that. Jesus' disciples didn't sit down and say, well, who's the most untrustworthy among us? 
Judas, you hold the bag. No, by all appearances, Judas was a trustworthy man who had gifts for managing the money and goods of the disciples, and so he must have been the logical choice to be the carrier of the bag. It would become manifest that Judas was, in fact, a lover of money and a thief, but this was not known to the disciples at the first. Judas had a certain aptitude, certain gifts, and thus... He was given that task of being the holder of the bag. And so that's, the, that's what the Bible tells us about Judas. He was one of the twelve. He was one of the twelve who was trusted with a very important task among the twelve disciples. And yet, Judas Iscariot, he's not known, he's not remembered as a capable treasurer, but as a treacherous traitor. And this is the infamy that clings to his name. Indeed, in most of the places where you read his name in the Gospels, you will read on to find words such as, who betrayed him, right after his name. That's what Judas is remembered for. He is the betrayer of the Lord. He was the hypocrite among the twelve, the tear among the wheat of Jesus' disciples. And it is here in our text that, Judas unmasks himself and is revealed for who he truly was as he goes about the ghastly work of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus and the other eleven were on the Mount of Olives. Our text says, Judas went his way. Judas went his way, verse 4. And that language is intentional. He went his way. It indicates to us that what Judas is about to do is something premeditated. It's something he had thought long and hard about. It is, it is something that had been brewing in his soul for some time. Something he had planned and now he takes action. And where does this premeditated way lead Judas? But, as the text says, to the high priests. Luke 22, verses 1 and 2 tell us that the high priests were conferring with one another how to arrest and to kill Jesus. And Matthew 26, verse 3, reveals that they held secret meetings at the palace of Caiaphas the high priest. And it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the chief priests that were there, but it was also the scribes and the elders of the people. All of the leaders of the church of that day All of the leaders of Jerusalem were gathering themselves together at Caiaphas' house to try to figure out how to resolve the problem of Jesus. And there was one solution that they wanted. That was Jesus' death. Their desire to get rid of Jesus was long-standing desire. You read through the Gospels, you'll find many, many references to that desire to kill Jesus. Already at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, In Mark 3, verse 6, after Jesus healed that man with the withered hand, healed him on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees consulted with the Herodians how they might destroy him. After Jesus healed the lame man by the pool of Bethesda and claimed equality with God in his preaching, the Jews and their leaders wanted him dead. John 11, verses 
53 and 54 tell us that after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, the leaders of the Jews consulted together how they might destroy him. This was something long-standing. But now, with all of the events of the Passion Week so far, Jesus' triumphal entry, his cleansing of the temple, his public humiliation of the leaders before the people in his preaching and discourses on Tuesday, the rage and hatred for Jesus has come to its boiling point. And all of the leaders, the chief priests, the elders of the people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the captains of the temple guard have come together to find a way to get rid of the Christ of God. Jesus must die. But the perplexing question is how to get that done. You can imagine that assembly, that secret assembly at the house of Caiaphas. The assembly talking rapidly, maddened by their hatred, seeking how to lay hands on Jesus, going back and forth with increasing frustration because their malice was muzzled by just one thing. As our text says, they feared the people. And as Matthew 26 said, they didn't want to create an uproar among the people. They were afraid of the fickle multitude. Jesus still had popular support among the multitude. Many of Sunday's Hosanna shouters could easily become rioters if the leaders of the Jews moved publicly against Jesus. Many of the pilgrims that had swelled the population of Jerusalem in the last days were very enthusiastic about Jesus, at least still at this point. They considered him a prophet. And so the leaders of the Jews feared they'd have a riot on their hand if they took any kind of public action against Jesus. They had to lay hands on him quietly and out of the public eye. But there was the problem. Jesus was always surrounded by people. He always had his disciples with him. And wherever he went, people flocked to him. When he was in the temple, he was surrounded by people. When he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, he had people following him. Even when he went to Bethany, where he likely lodged during the Passion Week with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, there were always people around him. How could they lay hands on him? They were frustrated at a loss of what to do. That's when Judas appears on the scene. Not by accident. Judas knows he has what they're looking for. He alone can give them what they so desperately want. Access to Jesus in the absence of the multitude, outside of the public eye. And so Judas comes to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. We might wonder how Judas knew that the leaders of the Jews were meeting here. Perhaps he had heard somehow. Another possibility is that he went to the temple and request an audience with the high priest. And when he made known the reason for his errand, the temple guards, who were in cahoots with the high priest, would have ushered him quickly to the house of the high priest. That's possibly how Judas got there. But regardless of how, The Bible tells us Judas ends up before Caiaphas and the assembled elders of the people. Judas, one of the twelve, stands before the Sanhedrin 
and covenants with them. That's the language of the text. Covenants with them. To betray the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Here's the betrayal. Verses 4 and 5. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. Isn't the language of the text striking? Sad? Communed? Covenanted? Judas, who for three and a half years had walked and talked with Jesus Christ, who had eaten with Jesus Christ, who had heard Jesus preaching, who had seen his miracles, in an outward way, you would say, was in the sphere of Jesus' communion. Now he goes and communes with the very men who are Jesus' most inveterate foes, who want his death. Communes with them. Literally, that word commune means to come close here and talk together. That's what, G, that's what Judas did. You can imagine Judas coming close to the chief priests, talking. He knew what they wanted. I can give Jesus into your hands. I can hand him over to you. And they were glad, the text says. They were glad. They rejoiced. The chief priests, the elders of the people did. Rejoiced, rejoiced with a devilish glee. The very ones who should have been leading the people in rejoicing when Jesus triumphantly rode into Jerusalem. Now, for the first time, they rejoice. They rejoice at the betrayal of the Christ. They rejoice at one of Jesus' own turning traitor against him. How they must have relished that. Here was the opportunity they were looking for. Here was the solution to their vexing problem about how to lay hold upon Jesus in the absence of the multitude and out of the public eye. Judas, the betrayer, would give them the opportunity. So they rejoiced. And having rejoiced, Judas... Chief priests, scribes, and the elders of the people, the text describes, they entered into covenant. A covenant of betrayal. They worked out a binding arrangement in which the Jewish leaders paid Judas 30 pieces of silver. And Judas in turn promised that he would work on their behalf. He would act as a double agent within the ring of Jesus' disciples. And he would seek and find an opportunity to betray Jesus into their hands in the absence of the multitude. He would look for an opportunity, the right time, to do that wretched deed. They covenanted. And that language is striking too, isn't it? They bound themselves to this task. That shows the unity that there was between Jews, between Judas and the Jewish leaders. Their hearts were one. Their hearts were one, and that's why they had this awful communion. Their hearts were one, and their opposition to, their hatred of, The Lord's 
Christ. But Judas wanted something out of it. Our text in Luke records Judas' words in a more general way. It says that the chief priests covenanted to give Judas money, and Judas in turn promised and sought opportunity to betray him. But Matthew 26 is a little more specific. It records some of the exact words that Judas spoke to the chief priests. Matthew 26, verse 15, And said unto them, this is what Judas said, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? Judas wanted something. He asked, what will you give me? What will you pay me? I'm not going to simply give you this information. I'm not going to simply deliver Jesus into your hands for nothing. I have to get something out of it. The bargain was struck quickly. For 30 pieces of silver. That was a decent sum of money, 30 pieces of silver. It was about four months' wages for an ordinary working man in that day. It was also the price of a slave. Exodus 21, Exodus 21 verse 32 tells us the price of a slave. And though neither the Jewish leaders nor Judas were thinking about the ancient prophecy of Zechariah, Unwittingly, they fulfilled that prophecy of Zechariah 11, verse 12. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. The scripture was fulfilled. It shows the low esteem that the leaders and that Judas himself had for Jesus. They showed their utter contempt for him. The price of a slave. That's all for Jesus. That's all Judas thought of his Lord and Master. The price of a slave. Fulfilling the scriptures. This wicked deed. They clasped their hands. And Judas bound himself to the service. Of his Lord's enemies. And he went forth. To deliver Jesus. Into their hands. That's the covenant. Betrayal. Betrayal. How terrible. How terrible a deed. Betrayal. Betrayal which is turning against someone who should be able to trust you. And using that trust to hurt them. Or using that trust against them for your own advantage. That's what Judas did. He betrayed his Lord deceitfully turning upon him for his own gain. Betrayal is one of the most painful sins a person can commit against another. We mustn't think that Jesus didn't feel the pain of this betrayal. Of course, he wasn't surprised by it. Jesus knew that this was coming. Even when Jesus called Judas to be his disciple, he knew who who Judas was. All the way back in John 6, after Jesus had fed the 5,000 and delivered his discourse on the bread of life in Capernaum, Jesus said this in John 6 verse 70, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Jesus knew from the beginning who who Judas was. And that Judas was the one who would betray him. And yet this doesn't take away from the real pain that such a betrayal was. 
the words we sang in Psalter 113, which are a versification of Psalm 41, verse 9. Those words are Jesus' words. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, had lifted up his heel against me. This betrayal was painful, agonizing. And it's part, it's part of our Lord's suffering. Remember that the Passion Week is the climax of Jesus' suffering. He suffered his whole life long for us. As our sin-bearing Savior. But when he comes to his last week. Looking towards the cross. That suffering intensifies. And we see that happening as the week goes on. And now on Wednesday there is this piercing Pointed suffering of betrayal by one of his own disciples. Which is the prelude to the painful suffering of the betrayal that he will suffer the very next day. When the rest of his disciples scatter. Peter, that close disciple, would deny him three times. And then Friday when he would be rejected by all, by men and by heaven itself and be crucified. We see the suffering of Jesus Christ intensifying as the Passion Week goes on towards the cross. And this is part of that suffering. Betrayal. Betrayal. Part of the suffering that Jesus endured for us. Us couple of applications before we move on to see the reasons behind Judas's betrayal. First, as we look at Judas's betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the heart of all human sin. Here's where we must apply Judas to us. Because, ah, we are not that different. Indeed, by nature, we're no different. Judas's betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ reveals what every single one of us would do with Christ if left to ourselves. Because sin, at root, is covenant betrayal of our God. Wasn't that the first sin? God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the sanctuary of Eden where he communed with them, where he walked and talked with them. He gave them life. And then at the instigation of the devil, they fell, they rebelled, they turned their backs on God and they covenanted with the devil. For what? For that vain promise that you will be like God, able to determine for yourself what is good and evil. They turned their back on the God who gave them life, covenantal treachery. And now this helps us see the seriousness of sin. In every human sin, that covenant treachery is reenacted. When the tempter comes to us, he holds before us the pleasure of sin. The promise that disobedience will be good for us. That rebellion will be good for us. 
Will you have God, your covenant friend, sovereign? Or will you turn your back on him for the pleasure of sin, for 30 pieces of silver, for something the world can offer you and all of the rest? You see, what sin is at its heart, when we give into it, when we give into the lust of the old man, when we listen to the lie of the devil, it's principally the same thing as what Judas did to Christ. It's covenant betrayal, treachery. That's the seriousness of sin. When we sin, we turn our backs upon our covenant God and scorn the riches of his grace and say, I'll take 30 pieces of silver over Christ. How that must humble you and me. So that we don't lift ourselves up in pride as we look at this history of Judas the betrayer and say, I wouldn't have done that. I'm better than that. Oh no. Let us be humbled. And let us give thanks to the grace of God. The grace of God which alone makes us to differ. The grace of God which alone gives us sorrow for our sin. The grace of God which alone turns us from our natural treacherousness to a love for God and a desire for His fellowship and to cling to Him and to walk in His ways and to delight in His word. How thankful we should be for that grace. Grace which alone makes all difference. And how much more should this make the saving work of Jesus Christ appear all the more amazing to us? Christ came to save sinners such as you and I are. And sometimes when we talk about that, Christ came to save sinners, we can let that word sinner not have a lot of content. Replace that word sinner with covenant betrayer. Christ came to save betrayers like you and me. How glorious and wonderful that work of Christ. That he came and suffered such betrayal as we see in our text. To save us and draw us back into the fellowship of God. And give us a place in God's own house. What a savior. But now we come to the reasons behind. The reasons behind this treachery. Of Judas. What explains Judas's deed here? Judas was one of the twelve. He spent three and a half years with Jesus. He saw his preaching. He saw his miracles. What explains this? How did Judas get to this point? There's a few things that can be said here come out in the text, and that come out in our scripture reading. And we'll we'll start there. Part of the answer, and a big part of it, is found in Matthew 26, verse 15. Matthew 26, verse 15, gives us a window into Judas' heart. And shows us one of the main things from Judas' point of view that drove him to this act of betrayal of the Lord. Matthew 26, verse 15. And he said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. You see Judas's heart there? What's most important to Judas? What was his heart set on? It's in the question. 
What will you give me? And those words give us insight into what Judas was all about. Those words give us insight into why Judas followed Jesus. And why he ultimately betrayed him. Judas wanted something. Judas was after something. And when Judas didn't get what he wanted, he had enough. And he was done with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at that a little more closely. Well, on the surface, one thing that can be said is that Judas was an earthly-minded and a covetous man. He was a lover of money. And this was a factor. Judas's love for money became clear when he objected to that anointing of Jesus Christ, which we read about in Matthew 26, when a woman, and John 13, or rather John 12, identifies her as Mary, the sister of Martha, when Mary took that alabaster box of expensive ointment and used it to anoint Jesus, Judas was outraged. Again, Matthew 26 doesn't specify Judas. It says the disciples had indignation. But if you turn to John 12, there you will read that Judas, in particular, was the one who was most upset. And that's probably where that indignation started. John 12, verses 5 and 6. Here, Judas is the one who says this. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. You see, Judas saw this expensive ointment being poured upon the Lord Jesus Christ and he thought, what a waste. That could be sold. Of course, he puts on a pious face. That could be sold and all of that money could be given to help the poor. But really, what he was thinking is all that money could go in the bag that I carry and I can skim a nice little bit off the top for myself and nobody will know about it. He was a lover of money. And that love of money, that earthly mindedness drove Judas away from Christ and contributed to the fire of his hatred for Jesus Christ. Judas proves Jesus' own words. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? in Matthew 6 verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And Judas shows that. His heart was set upon mammon. And the setting of his heart upon mammon meant his heart hated his other master, Jesus. He hated to see that money go to waste in his mind when he could have taken some of it for himself. But even deeper than that, he hated seeing such expense lavished upon Jesus, whom he did not love. And to see that act of devotion on the part of Mary angered him because his heart was cold and hard against the Lord. 
And so that's a contributing factor. Jesus was a, or Judas, Judas was an earthly minded man, a lover of money. And before we move on, there's an application there. Judas shows us the danger of the love of money, the love of any mammon, mammon being the things of this world, and really all idolatry. We must see that point. You cannot serve God and mammon. We often try to, we want to, we think we can hold mammon in place number one and still be Christians. It doesn't work. If mammon occupies place number one in your life, the inevitable result is that you will start hating your other master. How so? Well, you can't serve both God and mammon. And when you're serving mammon, when you're living for yourself, when you're living for some other thing in this world, God's word is going to become tiringly restrictive. And more and more, you will want to push that yoke of Christ away from you, throw off his commandments and the limitations it puts upon you. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And Judas shows us that. Let us, let us flee the love of money which is the root of much, much evil. But now to go deeper. Judas betrayed Christ, not simply because he was a lover of money, but the deeper reason is that Judas had grown disillusioned and disappointed in Jesus. And that disillusionment and disappointment had developed into bitter hatred. Judas was not just an earthly-minded man and a lover of money, but he was an ambitious man who shared the fervent messianic dreams of the Jews of his day. Judas's love for money can't fully explain his betrayal of Jesus. There's much more to it than that. After all, had not Judas given up all to follow Jesus? If Judas was simply a carnal lover of money and nothing else mattered in his life, why did he leave everything to follow Jesus in the first place? That indicates that there's something more here. Judas sees something in Jesus that attracted him. Or, to put it better, Judas in his own mind envisioned Jesus to be someone. And that attracted him to Jesus. But as it becomes manifest that Jesus is not who Judas envisions him to be, Judas quickly becomes disappointed. And disillusioned. Judas had the same messianic dreams as the people of his day and age. And initially we can understand that he would enthusiastically follow Jesus. Not because he truly believed, but because he had his own ideas about what Jesus would do. Jesus, he expected, would usher in the glorious earthly kingdom like in the days of David and Solomon And surely Judas, as one of Jesus' close disciples, would be handsomely rewarded. Would be given a position of power, glory, and wealth in that messianic kingdom when it came. Then as Jesus' ministry went on, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And Judas became more and more disillusioned and his earthly dreams were replaced with bitter hatred for the master who in his mind failed him and turned out to be not what he wanted. And as Jesus' ministry goes on, this betrayal 
is developing and festering in Judas's heart. Think about it. It must have bothered Judas a lot that right from the start, Jesus seemed to do everything in his power to stop a messianic movement from arising all around him. How often did Jesus perform a miracle and then say, don't tell anyone about it? That must have frustrated Judas. You're supposed to get your name out. You're supposed to start a movement. You're going to change the world. You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to establish a kingdom. Why all this quietness? Jesus' constant conflict with the leaders of the people must have frustrated Judas too. These leaders of the people, would they not be the best of allies in the bringing of the kingdom and the restoration of Israel? Take a concrete example after Jesus feeds the 5,000. The people were ready to forcibly make Jesus king. In Judas's mind, this was it. This was the moment. What does Jesus do? He sends the people away and retreats up into the mountain. And then when there's a second chance, because the people were so excited, Jesus had given them bread that they chase him to Capernaum, Jesus offends them by his hard doctrine of the bread come down, by hev- come down from heaven and many of the people run away. What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? You can see how disappointment and disappointment and disappointment turned Judas's heart bitter. And then Jesus began telling his disciples that he was going to suffer and die. And Judas didn't want anything to do with that. A lowly savior? A suffering savior? That's not what he signed up for. And then the events of the Passion Week must have sealed it for Judas. Perhaps there was a a little spark, a little spark of possibility when Jesus entered Jerusalem to the acclaim of the people. But that spark was quickly extinguished when Jesus cleansed the temple and had his great conflict with the leaders on Tuesday. Judas was done. Jesus was not who Judas wanted him to be. Jesus was not going to give Judas what he wanted. And so Judas rejected Jesus. He had had enough. What a waste of three years. He might as well get something out of it. And so Judas goes off to betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. You can see then, how Judas's disappointment and disillusionment with Jesus throughout his ministry came to a head here in this act of betrayal. There's a couple of applications then that come out of that. First, Judas reveals another danger of our sinful nature. Namely, that we follow Jesus, not for Jesus himself, but for something else that we think Jesus can give us. Why are we Christians? Why? Why are you here? Why do you take the name Jesus upon your lips? Lots of people will say, I'm a follower of Christ. So long as the Christ they follow is the kind of Christ they want, so long as following Christ allows them to live an easy and enjoyable life, but how many will quickly turn their tails 
on Christ when he turns out to be someone other than they wanted him to be? Why do we follow Christ? Why are we here? Not for what we can get from him. Not because we were born in Christian families. Let that not be the mere reason. Not because we find a certain social acceptance in the Christian community and so we're content just to be here. Why do we follow Jesus? Because we love him with all our hearts. We follow Jesus for who Jesus is, the Son of God, our Savior. We are devoted to him and to his glory for who he is. That's why we must follow him. Not because we want something, but for him, for him. Another application is that Judas shows us the danger of not submitting to God's will when there are disappointments in life. Look how far, far down that road Judas went. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And at each step. He became more and more bitter against his master. We mustn't walk that road. Sometimes we have expectations for our lives and God doesn't give us what we expect. God's plan is different and sometimes God's way with us is difficult. How do we deal with that? Do we become bitter and resentful or do we submit ourselves to God's will? We mustn't think that we set the terms for devotion to God. If God deals with me the way I want, then I will serve him. But if not, I will be bitter and angry against him. No. Then we're just serving self. We must submit. Independence upon God's grace. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Finally, an explanation for Judas's betrayal, there is the fact that Judas was under the influence of Satan. Text points that out. Verse 3, then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. The text emphasizes the involvement of the devil. Satan entered into his heart. Does that mean Judas was demon-possessed, or that Satan dwelled in him for a time, perhaps, but the text doesn't necessarily mean that. Likely, the meaning of the text is that Satan exerted a powerful influence upon Judas at this moment. Satan operated in his heart, aroused that hatred and bitterness to drive him forward to do the deed that had been brewing in his heart for a long time now. And Satan could easily do this because Judas was one of his own. Judas was a hypocrite in the sphere of the covenant. Judas was one of Satan's own. Satan had ready access to to Judas' heart. And so Satan propelled him forward. It's not that Satan forced Judas to do something he didn't want to do. No, Judas was willing and ready. He yielded himself as the willing instrument in Satan's hand as Satan goes about his work of seeking to destroy the Christ of God. But now, all of this, we must see, serves God's covenant. All of this serves God's covenant. The horrible betrayal, 
Judas's betrayal of the Lord, his treacherous covenant, it served the establishment and realization of God's covenant of grace. The devil entering into Judas's heart to drive him forward. Satan seeking to destroy the Christ serves despite himself, serves God in his covenant. For this is part of the ordained way of suffering that the Christ came to walk. Scripture had foretold it in Zechariah 11 verse 12. Jesus had spoken of it as well many times. This was the way marked out for him. This was the way that he would accomplish the salvation of his people. Through suffering. And that suffering included the treachery of one that the psalm says was his own familiar friend. This all took place according to the most wise, just, and determinate counsel of God. Jesus chose Judas to be his disciple. We must not forget that. Jesus chose Judas for a purpose. This was the purpose. This betrayal. Think about that. When Jesus first chose Judas, before his mind was this. This was the purpose of Judas being in the midst of the twelve. Because this would serve the cross. This was part of the way to the cross. And on that cross, Jesus would bear the wrath of God against all of our sins, against the covenant betrayal of all of God's people to free us from that guilt and the punishment of our sins. Christ on the cross in His own blood would establish God's covenant and secure our place in that covenant. Jesus was betrayed. Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. In order that. You and me. You and me. Might be ransomed. Not with silver or gold. But with his precious blood. And given a place. In God's fellowship forevermore. This betrayal. This treachery. This sin was under the sovereign control of God and used to establish His covenant. Do we stand in awe before that? The mystery of God's will and good pleasure. Oh, the depth, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, His ways past finding out. As we look at this history, may we see that. May we tremble before the just judgments of God and also rejoice in the salvation accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our faithful God and Father, as we have thought for a short while upon this terrible event, Judas's betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in awe of thy sovereignty and goodness. How thou didst use even this for the salvation of thy people. How the betrayal of our Lord's familiar friend 
is used by thee for our salvation. May this lead us to praise thee and to extol thee for all of thy just judgments, for thy ways which are past finding out. And above all, we thank thee for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, who was betrayed for us and who gave himself as a ransom for many. Hear our prayer for his sake. Amen.